Greetings in Jesus' name. This is Pastor Sean, and you're listening to The Intersection, not your normal fluffy Christian show. In the last couple weeks, we talked about uh, some specifics about some uh, voting anomalies, uh, some inconsistencies in this last election, um, not from a grievance crybaby point of view, boo-hoo we lost or, or anything like that, but from the idea of we have to have fair and honest elections. And when you see the kind of anomalies that took place, it makes you wonder. And today I'm going to shift over to a far more, I guess you'd say, uh, dire subject. Um, it weighs heavily on my heart as a pastor. We are going to talk today about some very, very spiritual things, because by the way, in the end, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, spiritual wickedness in high places. If you're a Christian, you understand that the, the political structure uh, struggle is just many times a mirror of what's happening in the, the spiritual realm. And uh, I want to begin talking the next couple weeks about something very, very, very alarming and uh, very enlightening, and that is the rise of cultural Marxism in the Church. And... It is becoming alarming. Now, it doesn't package itself, obviously, as cultural Marxism. It tries to take on biblical themes. And it tries to even make our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, sort of a modern, contemporary Che Guevara or Fidel Castro or some kind of revolutionary for the people, which, in fact, was not Jesus' purpose at all. In fact, I want to tell you today that... Um, any politicization of Christianity is wrong. Say, so, well, Pastor Sean, you talk about politics all the time, and your your uh, your your Christianity is political. No, it's not. My politics are Christianized, not my Christianity is politicized. And there's a difference. It means that what I believe in my Christian faith affects my view on politics. It affects affects the way I vote. It affects the way I. Uh, I, I decide. It affects the, the stances that I take. Um, but my politics don't change my Christianity. That's why neither party, um, I, you know, I vote for one that I feel is the closest uh, and, and maybe the most reflective of my Christian values, but neither party is, is the party that I would call the kingdom of God or is going to usher in the, you know, the new millennium of peace on the earth. In fact, that's, that's the problem um, with having a, uh, a worldview— uh, in which politics takes precedence over Christianity. And cultural Marxism is one of those worldviews. It doesn't—by the way, cultural Marxism doesn't care what vehicle it uses. It even uses vehicles that are antithetical uh, traditionally to it, and it tries to infiltrate. Um, by the way, if you haven't noticed throughout the years that, uh, you know, um, in the 80s there was uh, President Ronald Reagan was— was uh, highly concerned about communism. We had something called the Cold War. And Pope John Paul II also was in that fight, and those two together, in, in many ways, helped bring down um, the Soviet Union. Um, they helped bring down, they were, they were fighting continuously because they realized that Marxism is incompatible, it's antithetical to Christian belief. Well, we've got a problem these days, and that's the fact that, you know, this... Uh, Freedom needs to be defended on every front, and, and ideologically first, it needs to be defended. And then uh, eventually, if if the infiltration becomes so great, usually we have what we call war. We have we have people who have fought wars to keep communism and socialism completely out of our country. We have people who have fought wars 
And did you ever imagine a day where people actually run openly as socialist or march as communist in our streets with a great deal of comfort? Um, and on top of that, uh, a great deal of support. And you can thank that, you, you could give thanks to that by uh, the infiltration of cultural Marxism in our education system, in our entertainment through Hollywood, um, in our uh, society uh, in general and in, in its attitude. It's been promoted on every front, not called Marxism, not called Marxism, not even called cultural Marxism, not called communism, but it comes in other forms. And we're going to talk about those today and how it even uses it will infiltrate any and every institution, and then later it destroys them. Cultural Marxism uses any vehicle it can to accomplish its purposes, and then it destroys that vehicle. You don't believe me? Look at history. Cultural Marxism starts as an ideology. It infiltrates usually first the universities and the education system, which it has been doing well here for many, many years in what I call the commie camps. Oh, yes, those institutions of higher learning that everyone tells you your children must attend, must attend. You must pay them to attend and be brainwashed by cultural Marxists who hate our nation, teach children to hate their own parents and hate the capitalism, by the way, which paid for their college tuition. Yes, that cultural Marxism, it has infiltrated Hollywood in its themes continuously, and it's now infiltrating our political system, and I'm ashamed to say that it's been making a good run at the church. And not just mainline denominations, it's been making a good run at evangelical denominations. Well, let me tell you how it kind of works. Um, we know how it works in education, we know how it works in Hollywood, we know where it's taking a foothold, but it's beginning to work its way into the evangelical world. It comes in through themes like, mm, it comes into themes like equity, well, doesn't that just sound beautiful? Equity, isn't that equality? No, equity is not equality. Equity, and it will even subvert and, and, and it will distort and twist verses, maybe where Jesus talked about um, you can't serve God and money, or uh, the love of money is the root of all evil. It sort of presents itself that, that the gospel itself is in some way, shape, or form anti-capitalist. But you see, the gospel runs much deeper than a economic or social system. It runs to the heart. In many of the scriptures and things where Jesus talks about uh, serving two masters or where the Bible condemns love of money, he's talking about an individual heart of man filled with greed. Of course, the greed itself um, is a sinful thing, but it's not a statement. It's not a statement uh, on an economic system. In fact, the Bible teaches throughout capitalism. It talks about working diligently. It talks about blessing those uh, who are without. But, but equity is this new term um, that has come in through uh, into the evangelical church. And it's this idea that if we're really Christian, we want to make everyone equal, especially when it comes to economics. Well, do you know the Bible doesn't actually teach that? Well, Pastor Sean, the Bible says that we should take care of widows and orphans, that we should, you know, we should obviously be taking care of the poor and the needy. Do you know that Jesus made a comment, it was an observation, where he said the poor will always be with you? In other words, Christianity was not supposed to be the remedy for poverty. Oh, we were supposed to do what we could. We were supposed to move um, to help those who are less fortunate. Typically, also, when you when you come to the definition of poverty in, in a biblical sense, it's very different from the definition of poverty in a uh, 
socialist or communist sense, a Marxist sense. It's a very different attitude towards poverty. In the scripture, the scripture talks about uh, about doing good to those and blessing those who otherwise cannot help themselves. That would be like widows and orphans, people who are unable to, for one various reason or another, cultural, uh, by age, um, by social status, unable to take care of their own needs. And the scripture said that Christians should um, remember to help those. It didn't say that they were to try to bring some sort of permanent sociological change that would bring equity to all, as beautiful and wonderful as that sounds, but that actually comes from a uh, cultural Marxist slant, and they will use and distort and twist Scripture, Jesus' own words, um, to do those sort of things. Um, uh, there are many, many believers, or there's, there's even pastors these days in denominations, who are beginning to accept things like, I don't know, mandatory minimum incomes, that in eradicating poverty— we should be somehow providing on a regular basis some sort of mandatory minimum income. Well, you know, in the Scripture, the Apostle Paul said that that the church should not even be burdened to take care of widows less than 60 years old because those widows could probably work. In fact, the Scripture says that if a man doesn't work, a man doesn't eat. The Scripture tied uh, work, and it tied the ability to work um, and the responsibility work to those who should work, and it only assigned um, it only assigned charity and help to those who were unable. You know, there's many uh, I've heard people before say, well, you know, the the Acts Church, the early church, they were communist. They were, yeah. It says in Acts chapter two and Acts chapter three that believers sold property and other things that they didn't claim their own possessions to be their own, but that everyone shared so that no one would lack. Well, let's, let's compare that to social, uh, to social Marxism. You see, in the time when the Acts Church was born, Jerusalem was the center where the feast took place. And many, many people from many, many different countries, and uh, in fact, they're, they're named in Acts chapter 2 there. Um, there is more than a dozen, I believe almost 20, um, different nations which people came up to Jerusalem to worship. And on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit fell and this church was born, 3,000 people were added to the church. Well, many of those people didn't want to return home because, my gosh, they're a part of this new exciting thing called the church. In order to compensate for all of these uh, believers who had come from long distance and places who wanted to stick around to, to be discipled and to just kind of take part in this new exciting thing, believers decided that they would pool together resources and money and even sell properties and lands so that they could make a way for these other believers, let them live in their homes, let them come and stay with them, so that these other believers could stick around and enjoy what the Holy Spirit was doing. Well, people say, well, that, Pastor Sean, isn't that a form of communism? Say, well, no. The difference here was the Holy Spirit moved on the heart of people to be giving and generous so that they could all participate in this new exciting church. By the way, you don't see it practiced. You see charity practice, but you don't see this particularly practiced any time after um, this point in the book of Acts promoted in any of the epistles or, or, or any of the letters to the churches. And the difference between that and cultural Marxism is that 
this sort of charity is voluntary. It's done with a spirit of genuine Christian love put upon the hearts, which, by the way, is still the motivation for the charity of the church. And, and by the way, for those who try to criticize the church and say, well, you know, they should be doing more for the poor man and all this, there has been no force in the last 2,000 years greater for the alleviation of poverty and suffering, not only here but around the world, than the Church of Jesus Christ. No no movie stars or rock stars who put their little shows on and raise money for, for the poor and the needy, the live aids and all those. They haven't even dented the real Christian charity that takes place every day in this country from people who voluntarily, without compulsion, give freely from their heart as the Spirit leads them. Cultural Marxism, on the other hand, believes that somebody else should be giving this and that in a compulsory fashion, you should take that from people, not from people's genuine, genuine charity and and, uh, heartfelt giving. You should you should extract it from them either by force or by coercion or by threatened punishment. And then the governing entities should distribute it as they see fit, of course, without corruption and fairly, because that's what men do. You can hear my sarcasm. So the early church was not a reflection of any any way, shape, form of cultural Marxism. It was a voluntary form of giving in which believers blessed one another, and that is still practiced, at least in the circles I run in, in the Christian church today. We are constantly raising money for causes that we believe are on the heart of Christ. But now you have a shift where many pastors are claiming that the way to eradicate poverty is through cultural Marxism, is to vote for the party that is going to extract, coerce, and extort money Usually, by the time it reaches those who are impoverished, um, the corrupt hands have all been in the cookie jar, and we're supposed to believe that that's the system we're supposed to support because it's biblical. And this is one of the ways that cultural Marxism has begun um, to infiltrate the church system. I've heard many, many pastors, as of late and of recent, talking about equity. Equity. Now, I want to tell you something shocking. The Scripture never teaches that we should strive for everyone to have equality or equity when it comes to finances. What? Yes, it does not. It teaches that we should give to those in need, especially those who are really impoverished, and we should do it from a Christian, generous place of giving. But Jesus made an observation that may shock a lot of people. He said, the poor will always be with you. In other words, the gospel of Jesus Christ was not some social standard by which we would bring about an earthly utopia in which everyone had the same amount. In fact, the Bible kind of teaches against that sort of attitude um, because equity can only come at the extortion of those who have more to distribute to those who have less, and there is nothing Christian about that. But now because of social justice, socialism, and redistribution of wealth, and even the pushing of reparations within the evangelical mainstream, cultural Marxism has a strong foothold and ally in many evangelical movements. Mandatory minimum incomes, 
that is being, uh, in reality, promoted by groups like Gospel Coalition. And those who would oppose it, when it's coming from a group like Gospel Coalition, um, with well-known evangelicals, uh, when it's opposed, um, it is simply um, people are being accused of being anti-gospel. I remember having an argument with a friend not too long ago about uh, about um, immigration, and he had the gall to call me out on social media, been his pastor before, and say, well, thirsty, hungry children, thirsty, hungry families, thirsty, hung- you can do better than this, Pastor Sean. And I'm like, really? So you show me uh, where it says that Christian generosity means that you let anyone through your uh you let anyone through your border at any time without any kind of legalities, without any kind of uh, citizenship, without any kind of background check. This was going on in the time when, when Donald Trump was trying to do uh, some immigration bans for some areas areas until we could tighten up our immigration policies. And this person had the gall to say that I needed to read the New Testament. I said, really? Well, I need you to show me in the New Testament where it says that we should put our own people and populations at risk from dangerous people even, and that somehow is a reflection of Christianity. Now, sure, we're not to oppress the stranger. Sure, we're not to oppress the foreigner. Sure, we're not to be. In fact, why do you think they're all trying to come here? Because we treat people better than any other nation on the face of the earth. You wouldn't believe that if it was cultural Marxism. The next thing that many, many people are pushing in the evangelical world is grievance. Grievance. Identity groups. Grievance groups. And that somehow if you're taking care of the poor and the widows, if you're bringing justice to those who've had injustice, that you should sign on to grievance politics. That yes, even in the church, we would promote and push forward grievances. They're pushing these things and more, and this is the mainstream evangelical era. Guys like Jim Wallace, Ron Snyder, Tony Campolo. I remember when Tony Campolo wrote a book years ago called The Kingdom of God as a Party, and it was a great book, and then you just watched him kind of slide into the 90s, into the 2000s. He sort of began to, 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 to sign on to grievance politics, which became grievance Christianity, that we have grieved groups that we in some way, shape, or form, or fashion have to bring some kind of... Um, relief or uh, equity, or we, we we need to do so. We need to to do something to bring some kind of equality to these grievance groups, and they began to actually promote this. Well, the problem is, is that in Christ there are no victims. You cannot be a Christian and be a victim. In fact, the Scripture says that anything happens to us, good or bad, fair or unfair, just or unjust doesn't matter because we belong to Christ. And we've been doing the book of Acts in our church um, the last couple months. It's been amazing to see guys like the Apostle Paul and Peter and these guys go out and be persecuted and stoned and ran out of cities and and, and marginalized and, and tormented and even their, their goods confiscated and all of these things. And in the end, they never once became a grievance group. 
And trust me, the Christian church at this time was the minority. The, the Jewish leaders, the Romans, <laughs> anyone else around them, hated the movement called the Way and persecuted them. In the book of Hebrews, it says that their goods and their possessions were confiscated. And you know what the writings were? Stand fast, be encouraged, pray for your enemies. Know that in Jesus Christ, ultimately, as Christians, we have the victory. We are never to sign on to grievance identity politics as Christians. Because as a Christian, you cannot be a victim when everything in your life has been foreordained through Christ Jesus. That means whether you suffer, whether things are going good, whether people are treating you nice or not, it doesn't matter because you belong to Christ, who is the ultimate judge, the ultimate writer of wrongs, and it may not even come in this life. Now, does that mean as Christians we ignore injustices or we close our eyes? And absolutely not. But biblical justice isn't social justice. You will not find a place in the Bible where they promoted grievance policy in the church. We don't have a, church, we don't have a Christian grievance group. We don't have it. In fact, justice is just... Uh, in fact, in the church world, many people have said, well, you know, how do we bring the church together? How do, how do we improve race relations in the church? We just be the church. Because in Christ, there is no bond or slave. There is no male or female. There is, the, 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 the Holy Spirit knits the church together. If we just be the church, well, you're saying, Pastor Sean, there's no flawed people or there, there's no racism. There's no, I'm, I'm not saying that I'm saying, but the solution is we already have it. We have unity in the church. We don't have to strive for unity. We have unity. Now, we, have, we need to work on specific things. It's not going to come through identity politics or grievance policy. And as Christians, we cannot sign on. Boy, I wish I had hours at this point. It's going to take hours. Tony Campolo, and now it's beginning to usher into some of your favorite television pastors, some of the, the people, the Southern Baptist Convention. Many people are signing on to this idea that we should be writing, uh, we should be making right, we should be bringing social justice to grieved groups of people. Well, you know, the Scripture in the New Testament doesn't teach doesn't uh, address anyone by ethnicity or by grievance or by social status. We are individuals. You know when you go to heaven, you're not going to go to heaven with your social group. You're not going to get to stand before Jesus and say, my social group is part of a grievance group, and we really think when we get to heaven, you should put us in the highest part of heaven or in the best part or the nearest to the crystal sea. or what? We should get the best real estate in heaven because we were, we were aggrieved on earth. See, that's not the way it works, folks. And we are going to continue on through these next weeks of the infiltration of cultural marks. I mean, as I read this stuff, my... The hair on the back of my neck stands up. I believe that this is the next battle for the church. We have not been able to keep cultural Marxism out of our learning institutions. We have not been able to keep them out of our entertainment. And now, my friends, we are in a battle for the heart and the lifeblood of the church of Jesus Christ. Will we accept the new pseudo-humanistic gospel? of communism, of social communism. Until next time, this is Pastor Sean. May God richly bless you. We're the bad
noose with the young guns, with the ones that they told you to run from. Yeah, the player's gonna play and the hater's gonna hate.